Who was the kamikaze blonde? Was she a student? It was probably some girl I had a math class with or something. It was. Uh, <laughs> I, I uh, wrote songs in class instead of doing work, and that's how I got six yearbooks. <laughs> that's how I got six yearbooks. Folks, welcome back to another Something in the Water podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Uncle Dave Griffin, along with... I'm Sean Clark, and we're here with our good friend for many years, uh, T.W. Lott. Howdy, y'all. He's a musician, songwriter. Another tend to be. Another, uh, well, uh, we want to call you, uh, might as well call you a way crossing, but uh, I, technically, you're from... Uh, a little uh, community about seven or eight miles west of us, which used to be the county seat. Yes, indeed. Of Ware County. We call it Wasbur. Wasbur. <laughs> <laughs> but you spell it Waresboro. Waresboro. Yeah, and, what do you uh, call it, T.W.? I call it Waresboro, but I've... I've made the mistake of calling it Waresburg to other people, and they say, where the hell's that? I said, you know, it's about eight miles west of Waresburg. Oh, you mean Wasburg? Okay. Wasburg. Yes, that's it. I'm from Wasburg. <laughs> it's just the way we talk down here. Uh, and uh, Waresburg. Uh, matter of fact, that's where uh, I first met you. Yes, indeed. Uh Spring of 80, 88. Uh, let's see. Was it 88 that we moved out there? I believe so. That's right. Yeah. They had just, uh, you know, Club Bay Road used to be a dirt road, and they had begun paving it. They'd laid a layer of tar down, and I was into skateboarding at the time, so I'm skateboarding over that hardened layer of tar, and this woman <laughs> flags me down. She's like, hey, hey. She had a little redheaded boy with her. <laughs> that was my stepson. Yeah, she. Uh, I think she thought that I was. She saw me skateboarding down the road, and she thought I was a, a kid from the neighborhood. But I think once she flagged me down and I started coming up, she realized I was like eleven or twelve years old. Then once I got a little closer, she's like, "Oh, I, was, I thought you were a smaller kid. I was looking for someone to play with my son here." <laughs> yeah, and you did not disappoint. No, you you, you became a very good friend. Uh, yeah, there was uh, you know, was, as you know, a little farming community, not a lot yeah. of kids, so. Uh, befriended Kyle and y'all and uh, got to mm -hmm. talking and she said, well, my husband plays music. I, I mm -hmm. mean, I started playing guitar. Mm -hmm. said, my husband, he plays in a band called The Keepers. <laughs> and he's asleep now because he works at the post office at night. But I, I remember saying, oh, I'm going to see his guitar. I want to see his guitar. <laughs> Were you yeah. playing the guitar already? I, I just started. I was like that first year or two of playing where I was strangling chords and that kind of thing. Just... Mm -hmm. Learning how to tune, and I'd learned a few songs by ear, but you know, whenever you kind of learn in your own way, learning yeah. by ear, and there's like a longer starting period, it seems like before you can really get traction and start sounding good. 
Well, you started before me. Very young age. Yeah, I first started playing guitar at 10, probably. Yeah. I wanted to play drums, but uh, my parents, I was kind of rambunctious and hyper as a little kid, and they mm-hmm. did not want me having a drum set anywhere in the <laughs> house. So they here, take this guitar we found at a yard sale, do something with it. Which but, is odd because that house, there's a beautiful house on the corner of uh, Albany Avenue and Clough Bay Road. Mm-hmm. It's a, oh my God. It's, it's, a, it's a Victorian house. Victorian house. It's got like so many levels on it. And it looks like uh, something out of a, a, a gingerbread uh, <laughs> house. It's I got mean, a very Southern Gothic architecture oh, thing to it's it. Beautiful. Capolas or whatever you call them, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, just a, a beautiful house. Was it? It was pink. Was it pink when y'all had it? Uh, well, when we first moved into it. Well, first of all, about a year after we moved into it, when I was a little kid, before I even started kindergarten, it caught fire. And after the fire, it was uh, painted white, and it was white for many years till about eighty eight or eighty nine. And mom wanted to paint it. Monticello Rose, which was pink. That was it. That was it. I remember it. Beautiful. And it, was, it was that Beautiful for a long place. time. And then I think the people after my mom and them moved out painted it yellow. And mm-hmm. I think it's still yellow now. But it seems like to me that it wouldn't have mattered if you'd had a set of drums in that big old house because you could have put you could put you in that set of drums at one end of it <laughs> and not even heard it. Oh, man, that would have been ideal. But, uh my parents were not very supportive of the music playing to start with, so it really? was, yeah. So uh, it wouldn't matter where I put the drums; I could have put them ten miles up the road, probably, and still gotten gotten fussed at for it. Yeah, that was great, though. I mean, we uh, I ended up moving out there um, because my wife mm-hmm. then at the time had uh, uh, very bad asthma. Mm-hmm. And the house that we were living in in Waycross had mold spores in it. So yep. uh, we were uh, suggested by uh, doctors, you need to move somewhere. So we, I, I can't remember how it happened, but uh, there was a, a, a great house right on down from yours that belonged to a uh Waycross is a big railroad town, and there's a, a, a employee of CSX Railroad that lived in that house, who had been restationed to Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniels was that uh, Joe Douglas? Douglas, Joe Douglas, and so their house was available for rent, and we just zoomed right in. And it was a great house because it was uh, practically brand new, mm-hmm. and. Uh, we ended up living there for a year and a half or so and got to meet you. Yeah. And uh, you were a, a, a great, great, it was almost like a friend slash babysitter <laughs> for uh, Kyle because he, he weren't but about. Uh, uh, he was probably maybe three or four five, at the time. Three, maybe four, five. five, somewhere around there. I don't think he. Let's see, he would have been born in the 84 and if we had moved out there in 88, yeah. yeah. Maybe right at four. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and the fact that you uh, dug music, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Ted Nugent, that was your 
Yeah, that was your big. I remember that was one of the first things we talked about. Yeah, my uh, my brother is a big rock music fan, and he saw me taking an interest in guitar and stuff like that. Was that. Was like, Tony, hey, yeah, Tony, yeah. He uh, he comes from the the Ted Nugent, Sammy Hagar, Triumph kind of <laughs> school of hard rock, and so anyway, he let me hear some Ted Nugent records one day, and I was just amazed by the guitar playing. I was like, oh, I'd like to pursue something like that, and. And anyway, I was all obsessed about Ted for a long time, and, and Deep Purple. I started going back, getting into a lot of seventies hard rock mm-hmm. back then, and as well as the eighties hard rock I was listening to at the time. Mm-hmm. So let's see, how old were you say in eighty eight? Then eighty eight, I was twelve years old. Twelve, okay. depending on if it was before or after June twenty fifth. Yeah, I can't remember exactly when we moved out there, but. Uh, that was good. I think we got a picture of a birthday party that you were at under our carport for my daughter, Megan. Oh, wow. Uh, it was picture of you, Megan, Kyle, Graham, Laura. Oh, wow. I remember that party, My too. mother. My mother was in the picture. Yeah, it was one of those carport birthday parties. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Bunch of uh, bunch of young kids. There it is. <laughs> you're <laughs> you're standing in the blue shirt. Yeah. Oh man, to be that slim again, huh? <laughs> Look at that. And there's Graham. Yep. Sitting to your left. I see Megan. Megan mm-hmm. with the big smile there. Laura mm-hmm. next to Grant mm-hmm. next to you. Yep. And Kyle is in the in the first desk right there. I remember we chucks. got those desks. There was a guy at the post office mm-hmm. that had uh, Wallace Anderson. Mm-hmm. He had all these desks, and he he could uh, he would paint them or whatever, right? And uh, customize them for your child. And we ended up with quite a few of them. Who's the lady? That's my mama. That's your mama. My oh. dear sweet mama. I don't think no, I've ever that. seen a picture of your mom. Yeah, she was she was a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful person. And there, there's a whole lot of 1988 yeah. going on there. That's 1988, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm probably on this side of the camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Lord, have mercy. You know what? I'm sitting here looking at it. As, uh, it's just crazy to think how it wasn't that far back and it was at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, time has a way of doing that. It's mm-hmm. very, it's very. Uh, you can recall it. I mean, yeah, so especially with like something like this. You, you can... uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, just seeing the picture pulled up the, the whole memory of it. Especially like with the ponds out there, I can remember the mosquitoes and hearing the frogs and crickets yeah. and all singing and and now smelling uh, the tobacco from the. You live in a trailer right across the street from this house, right? Right. Yeah, there was a, a piece of land that my parents had used to rent. Uh, mm-hmm. My brother and his wife at the time had a mobile home set up there, and after they moved out, my parents just kept renting the, the land to whoever wanted to put a mobile home out there mm-hmm. and charge some lot rent. And anyway, we uh. About the time I was getting ready to move uh, out and start doing things on my own, there just happened to be a woman who had left a trailer out there. It was about to get repoed, and I had some money saved up, so I jumped on it and chilled in Waresburg for about 20 years in a sweet <laughs> double-wide manufactured mansion. <laughs> <laughs> and you hit, you uh, had a studio yes. in there. and 203D sounds. Uh, so I just piled up all my 
drums and guitars and amps and a little four-track recorder in the back there and recording songs as I wrote them, kind of. Four tracks. Yes, sir. Four-track cassette. Yeah. That's what the Beatles recorded Sergeant Pepper on was a four-track. I've always heard that. It's hard to <laughs> imagine what it's you hard listen to, to because it's just as broad as that album but, is. You know, there was a lot of ping-ponging mm-hmm. uh, going on. Uh, and I'm sure you... Bigger tape, too, though, right? Not... Like probably right. one quarter inch. They probably had like yeah. one inch or two inch. Yeah. Tape, I'm guessing probably. you couldn't do that. Probably like so. you, you could like bounce down one time and that yeah. was it. And you're gonna start losing. And, you, and I'm about to say you lost mm-hmm. a good bit of quality just doing and that. You always but, heard uh, increasing. Yep, the old snakes in the tape. <laughs> but man, you you always impressed me of just turning out music out of your home and like doing the art on the covers and writing everything and performing everything. Yeah. I Man, like, that, cool. Thanks. I was like, that's just a handful. That's not all of them, is it? No. Is the other ones over there? Yeah. He brought, he brought that or there might be in there on the table. The oh my God. That's, yeah. I mean, just, just one after another. That's that whole punk rock ethos. You know, all those bands, yeah. they were all did it themselves. They, they made yeah. the albums themselves, promoted their own shows. And I was like, oh, I can do that. I'm going to promote myself, I guess. <laughs> So what was your what was your first what was the first real band that you, first I like this the first band band that you was in? <laughs> Let's see. All right, not counting just a couple of kids hanging out calling it a band, right? Actual yeah, played music. Sure and, enough, sure enough, uh, getting down to it. Well, uh, probably my first real band was back when I was a teenager. A Christian punk band I had formed at my church called Terminal Attitude. Terminal yes. Attitude. It was me, Barry Rollerson, and Eddie Walker. And we would sneak into the church late at night. They had like a mixing board hooked up to a cassette deck, and we'd bang out some three-chord punk tunes with Christian lyrics to it. And <laughs> uh, we, didn't, we didn't play in front of the church too much. I don't think the congregation was into it at the time. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> Might not have been supportive. It might not have been. So, what uh, church was that? This was Bible Heritage. They're on Albany Avenue, just up from the Farm Bureau. There. Okay, I remember that. Corner of Columbus and Albany. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the first band we played. A, a couple of talent shows and things mm-hmm. like that. That was my first real stage time kind of band. Yeah. And then I went to playing in honky tonks after that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the next band was. Uh, cover band called Eruption with uh, Lauren McDaniel, Bill Lee, and a bass player named Jesse Heron, who I met for the first time. There we go. Starting to tie in now. uh, So that would have been... This would have been 93, 94 here probably. 93, 94. Early 90s, no doubt. Mm -hmm. What what genre of songs did y'all do? Eruption? Oh, it, it was just... Southern and classic rock. It was it was barroom kind of stuff, you know. Uh, trashy covers. women covered, covers. yeah, covers. Rolling Stones miss you. Uh, a lot of bad company. A lot of grand funk. Cool. And uh, one day, uh, we were getting scolded by some of the other band members about not performing just like they did on the album or whatever. And I turned to Jesse. I said, "Man, this sucks. You want to start writing our own stuff? We can do better than this." <laughs> And he got to, yeah, I think I think we should do that. And so we kind of started our own little mutiny, and me and him broke loose. And I had some songs, and he had some songs, and just kind of put them together. And 
That was the early stages of the distant era, I guess you could yeah. say. Distant. distant. We got one of them. Play a little. I think a Kamikaze Blonde was on portion the portion of uh, uh, the band Distant. And y'all recorded yes, this. I think it's uh, highlighted there, the Kamikaze Blonde. Recorded this. this yeah, so yeah. Billy right here recorded this. Nothing. We were hearing it again. <laughs> Got you singing? Singing and playing guitar. During the Nirvana era, you yeah. can tell no doubt. Jason Lee on drums. Jason Lee on drums, yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, this is that. This ties it all together. <laughs> Me and Jason were 18. I think Jesse was 15. Yeah. I would, I would come over there while y'all were practicing and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that was the beginnings. It's tough being punk inspired in South Georgia. So, uh, <laughs> so good. you were about eighteen, yes, and Jesse was about fifty. Jesse Heron, bass player, mm-hmm. and uh, Jason Lee drumming. I met Jason in, in junior high. We were both in band together, actually. Yeah, I've been in bands with both of them too. So. Yep. Who was the Kamikaze Blonde? Was she a student? It was probably some girl I had a math class with or something. It was so, <laughs> I, I uh, wrote songs in class instead of doing work, and that's how I got six yearbooks. <laughs> that's how I got six yearbooks. I like cracking that joke on folks. <laughs> I just tell them I have a master's degree in high school, and then let go at that. <laughs> yeah, and that was... Uh, so that was uh, 94, 95 right there probably. Yeah. And uh, practiced a lot, didn't play a whole lot of gigs. It was kind of hard to uh, market that kind of music to your average bar and uh, <laughs> nightclub and bistro. So <laughs> uh, we did play some young folks' parties, some some of the, the famous John Duke parties, if y'all remember yep, those. I remember that. I was there. Yeah. John Duke. Yeah. And uh, if y'all remember the, the late... Great Ricky Strickland uh, played a party at his place out yeah, by the airport Ricky one time Strickland. in '95, and a few other places here and there. But we we changed after this. We uh, 
I don't know what happened. I, I think we got older and more angrier or something, and we, we morphed into 12-gauge gentlemen. <laughs> Go to heavier sound. That's one yeah. of the classic band names of all time. When we right had there. Jason Lee on, he was talking about how yeah, that was he, the yeah. worst band name <laughs> he'd ever had. It was – I kind of – Halfway came up with it as a joke. It's like, hey, man, what y'all think of 12 gauge enema? <laughs> I was just throwing it out there. Stephen May would laugh at it. And uh, I could see wheels starting to turn. They're like, wait a minute. <laughs> that might get some attention. Like, yeah, it may get the wrong we, kind. But. We, won't, we won't get much, many gigs, but. Yeah, oh, we, uh, there were, the few gigs we got, they listed us as 12 GE. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess people thought we were a light bulb, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So uh, you got a 12-gauge enema cut there? Oh, I think buddy. that's it right there. What changed besides the name? The music got a little more angrier and heavier, like uh, we were just... More well, we had, most of the distant stuff was wrote before Jason came into the picture. Me and Jesse wrote it, and um, we got lucky and got Jason to come in and play drums for us. And uh, after he... Got in the band a little bit, and we all started gelling and feeding off each other's energy. Uh, as y'all know, he's a he's a he's mm -hmm. a rocker, and I like heavy stuff too. So we were able to connect on that level, and just started bringing some heavier stuff, like some of the more Pantera meets Jesus Lizard meets Clutch, yeah. that kind of stuff. Cool, you know, just the the, the kind of heavier late nineties stuff. I mean, I I knew it was heavier. I just wanted to see what you you would say. Yeah, we were just <laughs> bringing the heavier groove. Was all. I like it already. I did more screaming than singing, so I could the same I personnel in this band? Yeah, it's just three piece. It is a bass heavy mix. I don't know how that happened. Did Jesse record this or Billy Ray? No, uh, Crawford Perkins did actually. Oh. Who? Crawford Perkins over in Brunswick. Yeah, really? We've had yeah. him on. He had a studio behind his house in a little portable shed. Okay. We recorded it in that. Okay, I have to bring this up to him. Man, it's so big, the sound. Well, we were definitely into the power trios like Nirvana and yeah, ZZ yeah. Top and Cream and James Gang and stuff. So, and some group called Rush. Yeah. <laughs> heard this one in forever either. Got a bit. You, you got a pretty extensive body of work there. When you look at it all, 
I guess so. It's all went by so quick, I don't even realize it. I thought I just recorded this two months ago, but it was 25 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> early, early 90s translate into 30 years gone. It does. Scary. There's a weird edit coming up here. The edit. <laughs> Something happened when we were punching in the lead. I don't know what happened, but I'd have, I'd have never known. remember what amp you were playing at that time yeah actually i uh as far as recording with it uh crawford had this trace elliott half stack it was a guitar Mm -hmm. uh tube amp and uh had a great sound in it uh but uh i I still use my pedal board i played my rickenbacker through a rack into that (laughs) trace elliott half stack and it got that roaring kind mm-hmm. of woofy, real subby sound. It's like, man, I like that. Can I take this one home with me? But mm-hmm. <laughs> other than that, though, I, I played like a Fender Pro 185 or either a Marshall Valve State. I split between the two, or sometimes I'd run both of them together, depending on how loud we were feeling that night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jason, uh, he's a good volume drummer, and, and Jesse always oh, had a big man. amp back then, so I had to, I had to kind of beef up my sound and. Mm-hmm. There were days where after practice where our ears would ring for four or five days straight. <laughs> and nowadays, I can hear, but it sounds like the tone knobs turned way down on stuff. Yeah. Everything's kind of muffled. I don't know if y'all have that. or yeah. yeah. I've heard some folks talk about the tinnitus, the ringing in the ears at night, but I don't have that. It's just a tone knob turned down. <laughs> I have to watch when I mix stuff that I don't put too much treble in it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that's 12-gauge enema. Yeah. Then uh, what happened? Well, uh, actually, I don't know if you remember this or not, Sean. We played a a gig, and I think, I'm trying to think what band you were in. It was like a birthday party slash New Year's Eve for you around 97 or 98. Played it at the Exchange Club out there. And... The Exchange Club. Yeah, Yeah. out by the fairgrounds. Yeah. But inside the middle building, not where we... They have everything else. What it was my birthday party, right? It was a birthday party slash gig thing. It was us. Yeah, it was a surprise of... birthday party. I had nothing. To... Okay, I didn't know nothing about. I remember it happening in the exchange club. I, mean, I knew it when it was happening. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, we're supposed. To, they told me they were going to. Uh, we're going to my grandparents to eat birthday cake. Yeah, and this is my twenty second birthday. I think. Yeah. 
Yeah, it'd be about right. I mean, and they're like, we got to come in here and move an ice, ice box because my my papa had Clark's ice or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, what a damn birthday. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Going to my grandparents, but we can't make it there because we got to move some heavy shit first. <laughs> so we go in there and it's just like I, the exchange I, club. I was so in shock, I was clapping what with was everybody all the else. Cars I was like, like, "What's going on? Huh? Did they have the cars hidden? Yeah, I guess I don't. <laughs> I think we did have to park in back. I remember unloading through the back door. And so you I, just, I know I was totally you, caught off guard. You just came know. up there to the front of the exchange club. No yeah. cars around. Came in through the front, and you, yeah. you know that little foyer area, and then yeah. went into the big part. And it was like y'all. Was that you that kicked off? I, I think so. I, I can't remember who else was playing the bill. Rick, wasn't Rick Bennett playing up there too? I think so. Man. I wish I had a flyer from that that night. I yeah. remember it was it was us and uh, a couple of other bands, and that's probably the coolest thing my parents ever did. Because they got did that, did they that did that, you? and they got everybody together, and mm-hmm. they had a keg of beer, and I was like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> who are you? Hey, what is going on here? <laughs> what birthday would that be for? Twenty second. So, I'm not good with math. But. So that was December. <laughs> I'm 46 now. December of, 20, uh, of 98. It was like the 97 going into 98 year, so that'd be okay. about right. It may be, it was, my birthday is Christmas Eve, so it may not have been on my birthday. Uh, but I knew that, you know, we were supposed to go be Mm-hmm. Go to eat cake or something, and that was going to be my birthday. Yeah, and, and then it was like, bam, uh, party. Was that twelve gay gentlemen? Yeah, we played a show that night, and everything went good. And for some reason, we never got back together after that. And there was no breakup or no no harsh words or yeah. anything. I think I know one thing. I think Jason's second child was on the way, and I had lost my job in construction, and I had to like kind of. You know, find a real job, cut my hair, and and do all that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. I got on out at Walmart distribution center eventually. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, I think it was just one of those things where the ebb and flow of life just kind of mm-hmm. washed us a, apart. Yeah, and, and all like that. Of course, I think Jesse and you uh, picked up with uh, was it gravy at that point or? Yeah, that's about was, right. Yeah, was that right after that? It was it was around this time. I remember Gravy being in the uh, late nineties. Yeah. If that was in ninety seven, then ninety eight yeah, was 98. Graham Parsons first. Yeah. So together. I guess that was right. I after. think maybe Will Thrift might have started playing around at that time or yeah, yeah. first we were with uh Will me and Will got together and then mm-hmm. we brought in uh Jonathan Gibson. Yep. And I guess probably Graham was always part of it. Mm-hmm. And then when Jonathan left and we do our we're already recording our album with with Jesse. Yeah. And then when Jonathan left, Jesse stepped in. Okay. Or or maybe it was the other way around. I mean, I maybe Jesse was there in the beginning with the, that's what it was. But we weren't called Gravy yet. We were okay. like fishing around with names. Right. And uh Jody was playing drums. Okay. And then things started changing and uh anyway. Yeah. So it was around that time. Mm-hmm. So where does uh, okay this would be ninety eight? Mm-hmm. It's still about five more years before the honky and mm-hmm. uh, hay shaker thing started happening. So yeah, after uh, uh, twelve gauge enema, yeah, you started well, doing the SSV stuff then, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I which stands for. Summer school valedictorian when I first came up with it. Awesome. Because that was pretty much me, man. I spent more time in summer school than I did regular school. Was this like solo stuff? 
Yes, yes. It was, it was me. just you doing yeah, it all the songwriting stuff. Yeah, I'd always okay. – uh, uh, who was it? Not Aldo Nova, but somebody like that that played all the instruments and wrote all the songs on their albums. I always had a fascination with Trent Reznor? Could have been, yeah. Did he do that? Uh, I'm sure he probably did. He's definitely talented enough to do that. I think he did that for the Downward Spiral for sure. He yeah. might have had some guest folks on it, but – but that's what I wanted to do because I wanted to do all kinds of stuff. I wanted to do rock. I wanted to do country. I wanted to do punk. I wanted to do folk. I wanted to. And you could do that with under that, right? Yeah, I was umbrella. Just, I had a blank canvas as far as I was concerned. I could put whatever I wanted to on it, and uh, I had a job working second shift out at Walmart Distribution Center, so I'd get home at like eleven, twelve o'clock at night, and there was nothing to do but I'd get back there in the studio in that trailer at Warrisburg and just start writing songs, let the four track roll and keep drinking and see what happens. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> I the used four to track love that. Roll. Yeah. I had a I had a, a Kai four track reel to reel. Oh yeah. That I bought in seventy six and I used to do the same thing. Of course I would just write songs and demo them down on that four track, but mm-hmm. it was uh it was not a uh, an, an album type thing, you know, product thing. It was just like songs, right? Kind of rough continuous songs. songs, demos of continuous songs, and to this day, there it's just like tape after tape after tape of of a chronological my songwriting through the years, you know. Mm-hmm. But yours were broke down into specific uh, albums, which the SSV, uh, mm-hmm. you had like seven yeah, they uh, distinct albums there. I had a period of time there. Everything was just coming to me quick. And I guess being by myself late at night like that, everything just kind of flowed out a little easier. And, mm-hmm. and, of course, I didn't have anybody there to say, no, don't do that. That's a terrible idea. That sounds like <laughs> shit. You should quit while you're behind. Thank God. <laughs> and didn't. I love those albums. But I was influenced by a lot of, uh, thank you, by the way. I was influenced by a lot of lo-fi stuff that was recorded on four track, a lot of Guided by Voices and, you know, Pavement and mm-hmm. Built to Spill and all, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. It was already lo-fi. So uh, I was matching art with my influences as far as that went. So mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's staticky as hell, but sounds good. <laughs> that Box was- it, ship it, and sell it because I'm buying it. <laughs> that, that lo-fi thing was a. It was it was that was part of the art, you mm-hmm. know, about it. Not I, I love it. It really did add like, something to it. It was like, you know, it was it the quality of it kind of just took you back in time mm-hmm. a little bit or mm-hmm. something. I love that kind of stuff. Oh, play us a little just a smidgen. Not the, you don't have to do the whole song, but just play us just a smidgen of SSV. Yeah, that's a the first where it all started, right here. First track of SSV. The first that's enough. SSV album. <laughs> that's enough. I love this one. <laughs> Thank you. Sounds like an old 60s recording almost, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And I am a flashback. The thing about it is, you're doing, you're doing everything. Yeah. Yeah, you're playing the drums and everything. 
vocals, bass, everything was done through a guitar amp. <laughs> Fender Pro 185. I am a flashback. I even had the snare going through the guitar amp just to get some yeah. reverb out of it. Later on in that song, there's uh, beer burps and other things because <laughs> I drink a few beers. You know, you drink a beer, you lay down the drums. You drink a beer, you it lay down the like guitar. Were, it sounded like there there was one right at the beginning there. Or there was so that was something sounded, else going on there. There was a, a, <laughs> a lighter and a water apparatus. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you listen a, carefully, you can hear the bubbling. It was a bong song. <laughs> That's it. So that's a look into those late night jams right there. That, <laughs> and I did awesome. a few albums uh, like that on four track and kind of hammered out my songwriting a little bit. So play, uh, then jump, jump, uh, fast forward to five SSV albums later. Oh yeah. So, uh, track five. Be, uh, well, let me see. SSV six. SSV six. Yeah. I see all, yeah. You had a V six. This was the first digital album. I did this on a Fostex 16-track digital here. I will always look the same. Got a crisper yeah. sound. Crisp, layered, everything. Yeah, I could go crazy I with guitars and vocals. Oh, and Jesse Heron is playing bass on this, by the way. He did a little session for me there. Because there's no way I could play bass that smooth. <laughs> There's that 90s indie, yeah, for sure, indie sound. I definitely was into catchy songs at the time. It's always have been. I've always liked poppy, catchy stuff, no secret. This song will be over with pretty quick. You hear the bathroom door closing at the end. I will always get paid the same No matter what tools I obtain Now you said that uh, SSB was a uh, umbrella that you could do many different things stylistically. Right, yes. Uh, including country? Yes. So would that happen on... Uh, uh, among other uh, styles on one album, or was it like a yeah. whole album? Oh no, it devoted was... to nothing but country. No, I always, I always liked albums that were all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I always liked to do an album that you got a rock album, this yeah. track. The next one you got something mellow. The next right. one you got something kind of down home. Uh, maybe like you got something like weird too. with keyboards and kind of modern after that. And that's what I did. I went nuts with the styles and all the different genres because I've always liked different kinds of music. So got to let all that out somehow. That was my idea about behind Strange Bird was having just all these different sounds. Oh, yeah. You're good. <laughs> that's the bathroom door closing after I did the vocals there. The old va bathroom reverb. Yeah, there's nothing like it. And in fact, that old bathroom at the trailer in Waresboro, I have recorded a mini vocal and guitar track in there. <laughs> I would lug my guitar amp in there <laughs> yeah. and put a big condenser mic in there. And Something about those fiberglass shower stalls. They get like a good slap back to them. 
You already put that in the processor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't nobody flush the toilet <laughs> by mistake. Is it, it'll all go down the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um. So, where did your uh, love of country music come from? Well, uh, I did get a little bit of it coming up. Uh, mm -hmm. My parents, uh, my mom and stepdad, they were country music fans. My mom liked Alabama and Ronnie Millsap. Mm -hmm. And uh, my stepdad was a big Willie Nelson and George Jones fan, so uh, I got a you know good bit of the, the old school stuff coming up. And yeah. uh, if you remember, there was a resurgence of country in the '80s with the revival stuff like Randy Travis and George Strait. So yeah. country radio was real big. Dwight Yoakam, yeah, Dwight yeah. Yoakam. Oh yes, the, the savior himself there. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, uh, I got a little bit of that coming up. Of course. I always decided rock was my thing. I love the rock music, yeah. but uh, probably whenever I was getting out of high school in the nineties, I uh, discovered the uh, Graham Parsons and Neil Young's harvest album mm -hmm. and some old stuff by the birds and the burrito <laughs> brothers. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay. And then also about that time, uh, uncle Tupelo had just split up into Wilco and Son of Old, So I got yeah. some more country exposure there. And, mm -hmm. It just kind of, and then I went back and, and got into everybody from George Jones to Waylon Jennings to Buck Owens, and mm -hmm. just, just went crazy with the <laughs> stuff from there. So it's uh, always said SSV, uh, born to rock but raised in the country. <laughs> <laughs> but I, th I think all the rock guys, rock boys, like, I mean, I come up on rock too, mm -hmm. and uh, eventually you listen to that rock album that's got. What is this? You know, they got a country style yeah. song on there. And then you're like, well, maybe this isn't so bad. And then you're like, open Yeah, your there's mind something a that kind of weans you into yeah. it almost. Rock, it's a gateway drug. No, country. always has been. And I still can't get enough of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, man. Uh, and that's one thing to always. Uh, appealed to me about Graham Parsons is. Uh, one of the first albums I got of his was the Grievous Angel album, and mm -hmm. just the way he mixed that good, clean, sparkly, jangle rock mm -hmm. with this real pure form of country, I'm like, man, that's my jam right there. I like that. Uh, yeah. Finding was, one of his records was a was a great discovery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was following in the footsteps of uh, Merle Haggard and oh, yeah. Buck Owens. Uh George Jones. Did you get turned on uh, to Graham by Jesse, through Jesse and his dad? In a way, yeah. Uh, Y'all probably remember the, the famous studio back there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was our practice place at the time. You know, as y'all know, Billy Ray had the Sin City Records, and he had mm -hmm. a few records in that building from his store still. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've always had a record player. I've, I've never went all cassette or all CD. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I told Jesse, let's see what kind of records they got in there. And we went through them, and man, uh, got that Grand Parsons. I got Pink Floyd Animal. I got Led Zeppelin, Houses of the Holy. I got a Status Quo record. And uh, I got I found Sweethearts of the Rodeo, but Ray made me give that one back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but And uh, just uh, some other good, all kinds of good music like that. And, and so it was because of Jesse, but it's not, I guess, 
hearing about it and then finding that record there that was up for grabs and taking it home and listening to it on my own terms and, yeah. and all like that just really kind of helped me grow with it. Mm-hmm. An important discovery. Yes, it was. Really and it was, was during the what I called the country revival of the spring of 96. <laughs> yeah. I discovered that album and, and, and Neil Young's Harvest and I had been listening to a lot of John Fogarty stuff via CCR and his solo stuff, which uh-huh. has the country rock flavor. So uh-huh. I was kind of getting primed up and, and getting ready for it. That's about the time that I started getting into yeah. it too. You know, what was up with that? Well, it's one thing about it is I guess the the little alternative grunge wave was starting to wane a little Did bit, it? and I think record companies were maybe trying to push something with a little different flavor. Maybe and, it had something to do with the Unplugged series. And, yeah. And, oh, yeah. And stuff being more acoustic and then that I wouldn't doubt that a bit like a wave rolling so what was y'all's age at that time I was between 18 and 20 depending on mm-hmm. what exact yeah. year we're talking about that's a very formative uh, depending on which reality we're in yeah formative <laughs> years it, it really was <laughs> that's where you really reaching out and and grabbing hold or, or welcoming yes new stuff I really was because I also went through a Mississippi Delta Blues phase that year. I got really into Muddy Waters and John Lee Hooker and yep. uh, cats like that. And I think it's just with me, like we, we were listening to the the newest rock or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then in those next years, going to the roots of that. Yes. Which it. Which were landing well, what, what, land Wil- in country. You talking blues. about Wilco and Sunvolt? Wasn't that about the same timing too? Yeah, they both they both came from Uncle right, Tupelo. Right was, in there. I think they split up in about ninety three, ninety four, maybe. And well, Uncle like Uncle Tupelo was more rootsy than what they ended yeah. up being. They they actually got they actually rock. Like, did y'all listen to them in ninety three, or did you discover them in ninety eight, or was it? I I didn't listen to. Either band until probably ninety seven or ninety eight. Okay, so it was. I remember discovering. Uh, I got into Wilco first. The album AM just came out there in like late ninety five, early ninety six. Okay, I think that's on Passenger Side. Mm-hmm. I had to backtrack to that. I, I came mm-hmm. in on uh, Summer Teeth and had to go yeah. backwards. Yeah, and then once I got that one, I found out oh they came from Uncle Tupelo, and then that's mm-hmm. when I went and got Anodyne and fell in love. I still love that album. <laughs> yeah, and uh, then I heard oh you know. Uh, Jay Farrar, he's got Sunvolt over yeah. here, so I, then I got Straightaways, and yeah. I just tried to follow it all from there. Yeah. Stuff like that, uh, I guess, kind of could have happened to me in 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 in, in my uh, musical enlightenment period, you mm-hmm. know, you know, because I was going along one path, then all of a sudden you hit something, and it takes you down another road yeah. that goes mm-hmm. backwards, you know. Yeah. Uh, of course, starting off with Hank Sr., it was a, as a three-year-old, that was my daddy's You music. were starting where? I started, mm-hmm. but I also went away from it. The end, you know? the end of our, or mine, yeah. tale was like the beginning. So of like, how, how do you do that? How, how do you do that? But uh, the stuff that, that I was... Uh, picking up on was current. It wasn't like, uh, well, kind of like y'all, was Wilco and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, Neil Young, Harvest, yeah, boom, it was right there in yeah. front of us. And it was like, okay, wait a minute. And then you pick up Neil Young, and that's an extension of 
Crosby, Stills, Nash, yeah. and Young. And then it's like, okay, wait a minute. Crosby was Birds, Stills, and Young was Buffalo Springfield. Mm-hmm. You know, Nash was the Hollies. Yep. And then you you start going back backwards again a little bit, you know. So I guess that holds true for any generation. Oh, yeah. Uh, but y'all always impress the hell out of me is how how y'all would really go back and dig like you're talking about the blues and muddy waters and everything. I didn't have that with with me and and that uh, Burnside R.L. Burnside, Burnside that y'all yeah, got yeah. T-Model into. Ford. Oh yeah, Junior Kimbrough. And, uh, yeah, that was some good stuff. It was Fat Possum. Fat Possum Records. Fat Possum Records brought it all to the surface. Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, this is some real shit. What was the name of the Seems records? Fat uh, Possum Records. Fat Possum? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a label. <laughs> and uh, it seemed like, like I liked blues before then, but yeah. it seemed blues in that era before that was so polished. and Oh, yeah, like the Chicago blues with the big bands like, backing them up. It was boring. And, uh, and, uh, you wanted the rawer stuff. And then you'd hear you know, the older stuff that mm-hmm. was like, Muddy Waters and so Robert Johnson records, yeah, Robert Mm. Johnson. But then Fat Possum was like, "Oh, this is like the old, but it's like gritty as hell." Yeah, man, it was good. Yeah, that's good stuff there. Not uh, about that time, I happened to be lucky enough to have an attorney friend that I befriended by teaching him guitar, (laughs) Scott. Scott Crowley yeah. said, hey, I'm going to uh, open a record store. You want to run it? And I'm like, hell yeah. And then we're ordering all those Fat Possum records. And That's the first whatever. time I ever heard of the North Mississippi All-Stars was in that record store and yeah. stuff like that. The first that was, time I heard of a lot of things was because of that record store. Was, yeah, that was a what cool was place, it called man. first? Velvet? Velvet Groove Salon. And then it became Planet, Planet Groove. Groove. Okay, mm-hmm. so Velvet Groove was the one over there uh, – Next to Katie's. Where I lost Katie's. my guitar. Yep. Mm, okay. That's no, where I'm at. That story still hurts. Stings. <laughs> yeah, it hurts. And it was like, what pisses me off about the whole story is <laughs> I'm always going to be at whatever hangout till the end. Mm. I'm going to go home with the last people. And this is my store. And I was no, so. Uh, we were there till the end, but we, but, but you we were locked all, the door, though. And I locked the door, and we and were all standing. And then I turned around and leaned my guitar up. So it and was we, all on me. It but, wasn't you. But we were all standing there. Yeah, with our backs to the guitar. <laughs> talking, and I said, I got to go. And I left y'all there. Yeah, and we all drifted off in. in but if I, if I wouldn't have done that, I would have been like, well, your guitar, dude. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> don't beat yourself up over it. I mean, I don't, but I'm just saying. Uh, I always, I always, I mean, every, still, uh, every time I hear the story. You don't beat yourself up over it? Damn. Uh, well, but, dang, dog be cold, yo. <laughs> but every time I think about that, I'm like, I think about my decision to just go ahead and leave. It was you and Mike Johnson were talking. And, and neither <laughs> one of y'all was close to being finished. And I was like, I'm <laughs> we solved We solved the world's problems that yeah. night and made a big problem for myself. <laughs> I and think the funny thing was the next no. day was the next day, uh, I you know I was working for Crosstown Music, which was just around the corner from uh, Velvet Groove, mm-hmm. and you called Crosstown about two o'clock that afternoon and said, "Hey, 
Uh, just want to let you know I'm fixed to come around there and buy some strings. Just don't go to lunch or anything. And uh, I said, come on. Oh, by the way, how about bringing me my my guitar? I left it laying inside your shop last night. <laughs> Remember yeah, I said all yeah, that? Yeah, and I said, you did. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen and it. 30 Mm-mm. minutes went by, and I thought, damn, he's taking a while to come get his strings and bring me my guitar. <laughs> and then the phone rang again. It was you again, and you were so nervous on the phone. You was like, I... I I I can't find your guitar. Are you sure? You, <laughs> and right when you uh, said that, hurt to hear. right when you said that, my mind went straight back to me leaning it up against the outside display window, and I said, "Never mind." <laughs> Don't. You know, worry I wonder where it. that thing ended up because that's been. You so wonder long. about that? Some. Uh, it was such a nice guitar. Talk to many. What? Well, you think about it, uh, somebody walking the streets or riding the streets at about 3, 4, 5 in the morning. They're morning. not going to be, like, just average is not going to be, gonna be they're driving not gonna be down a the musician. Road. They're going to be like, there's walking, a damn guitar, let's take streets. it and sell it. Ooh, mm-hmm. And grabbing it. But I wonder if it ended up in some good hands or if it just, just got... You know, my throw by the way. I think Tyrone Biggums came by and saw us there. Oh Lord. <laughs> my hope is that somebody got it that could do something with it because it sure did good by me. The time the years that I had it, I wrote a ton of songs on that thing. Mm. And uh that's, but, a, that's a better story than how I lost my Martin. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Y'all are hurting me with these guitar stories. <laughs> Let's take a break and come back and uh, yeah, have some some we'll, live. We'll, we'll, we'll SSV. be talking oh, some more and have some live music and uh, just uh, general stuff that you've come to know on something in the water. We'll be right back. Something in my brain won't let me stray. Something in my veins gonna find its way Something in the water taught me how to pray When the cold black water finds its way into your veins You'll never be the same Welcome on back to Something in the Water podcast. Thank you all for being here with us this time. Our guest, uh, T.W. Lott. We're fixing to hear. Uh, this is, uh, what's the name of this song, bud? This song is called uh, Gift from Heaven. It's on a, a newer album I'm trying to finish up. The album's going to be called Inland Accents. If Inland I get around to finishing Accents. It up. And it's still SSV. This is SSV, yeah. Summer is, School Valedictorian. This is the collection of love songs I wrote Moving away from Waresboro. This was kind of saying goodbye to the Waresboro era, if you will. Cool. All right. Anyway, yes. Here we go, folks. The gift from heaven, the upbeast pay big bucks for, and your discount is figured in before you open the door, and the women are there to greet you. 
with Pell, Ell, and Quail. As the men pull up the anchors, westward winds prevail. A gift from heaven, the uppies pay big bucks for. Consuming acres and hungering for more, never going home, never asking why, just accept the roll of drone, and then one day you die. All right. Cool. Thank you. Thank you very much. So SSV lives on. Yes, he does. And he that, never finished uh, that last album. <laughs> that's like uh, SSV number nine out of all the SSVs. It probably will be, yeah. Yeah. But now, you said uh, this is the end of a, a Waresburg era. Are you still living out there? or you, No, I, you... uh, me and a man, they got a house in town here in Cherokee Heights. Is that right? three or four years ago. Yeah, it's not too terribly far. Did here. I not know that? Yeah. And uh, anyway, I, I have people living very close to me, so it's hard to say. Three up. or four years now. Yeah, it's really flew by. Dang. It might even be closer to five. I, I don't, wow. I, don't I didn't know that either. It. Yeah, I, I barely know it. <laughs> We're well, neighbors. Yeah. We won't put your address out there, but uh, when we get off the mic here, we'll tell, show us, the tell us where here. you're at so we can come over. <laughs> <laughs> It's not too far from here. It's it's within right. stumbling distance. We'll say that. We'll show the street view so everybody, <laughs> yeah. you know. Go ahead. People already throw pizza crust and fireworks in our driveway. Might as well have some more hooting <laughs> going on. Well, tell me this. Now, the uh, the Victorian house that you grew up in that mm -hmm. we were talking about first part of the uh, podcast, uh, that ended up uh, – didn't that end up being bought by uh, some kind of a holistic? Uh, yes, it was. <clears throat> I'm trying to think of the name of the company. Or psychic or something. It was um, <laughs> bought by some people that had a, let's see, how can we say it? It was holistic medicine slash colon cleansing slash <laughs> okay. wellness retreat slash whatever, you know, you could write yeah. off, I guess. Yeah. They, uh <laughs> They put up little guest houses but, out there in the field, and, and you you were still living behind. Yes, they wanted that. Out. You right. were living behind that. Oh yeah, the they okay. made offers on our property. So they were yeah. all pitiful, and said, "Well, you know, if, if you won't move, we're going to put up a fence around you." I said, "Well, y'all don't work too hard then." <laughs> so they put up a fence around us. But come to find out, they were there. Uh, let's say under not the most legal of terms, shall we say? And, <laughs> yeah. Next thing I know, me and Amanda get up one morning and they're hauling off hot water heaters and hauling off guest houses and hauling off sections of fence and oh uh, hauling off all kinds of stuff. So, who who was hauling them off? The the owners or the owners somebody? or whoever they had working for them? I think they hired. I think they hired a big crew to come in there. Like, listen, they're things are fixing to get legal come Monday morning. Y'all help us get out of here. <laughs> so, 
They never included in their trying to buy you out. They never included a free colon cleanse. No, they didn't. <laughs> hey, look here. Let me tell you something. That house always had plumbing problems. That wasn't the place to do colon cleansing. <laughs> Speaking of pl- plumbing problems, <laughs> how's your bidet? <laughs> well, uh, so they were nice. They took the fence back down when they left. So. <laughs> Took it with them, in fact. <laughs> you two were in a uh, band together. We were. Yes. Uh, what? Hell, you'll have to help me out on the years here. It's probably 2007 through eight or nine. Seven, somewhere around there. Yeah. I remember uh, you, you played bass with us when we were. I was playing bass and, uh, on the road with y'all. Uh, Chris Ryder, Laurie Ryder. Mm-hmm. Had a band called Honky. I think that I began playing bass for, and then the name changed uh, to uh, a more respectable uh, Hayshaker. Yep. Uh, And uh, we we played some road gigs. We went from Gainesville, Florida to uh, Atlanta, Georgia. I mean, we were we pretty much all over the place. Yeah. I remember I had to take off days from work, you know, so I could do the long weekends and. Work the making Athens, Atlanta, Nashville circuit. And I was working for Paul at the time down yeah. across town music. So I'll find a uh, a part time somebody to take over while I went on the gig on the weekends, or else just close the store down and go. Mm-hmm. And uh, those were fun times. It was uh, Frank Sykes on drums. Yeah, Leo Neal. On drums, uh, of course. You played uh, lead guitar, mm-hmm. and you're a drummer too. Yeah, I mean, you played in in a lot of bands. That uh, I've been playing drums about as long as guitar. Yeah, kind of suffered from the old raw speed complex. What's that? I couldn't decide whether he was a drummer <laughs> or a lead guitar player. They're both so much fun. I mean. <laughs> uh-huh. The thing about it is there's so many people that play guitar, and they seem like they're all miles better than me. So uh, oh, you're fine, I'm barely capable of drums. I can, I can fake it as a drummer to you know, get by for a gig or two, which I love playing drums. I, I played well, what are some of those bands that uh, played drums in? Uh, was Copperhead. members only? Yes, uh, I did play drums in an 80s cover band with Frank Sykes, Jason yeah. Chancey, and yeah. Buddy Heron, members mm-hmm. only. That was a lot of fun. Played drums uh, with Charlie Thornton and, and Jason and Frank again in Copperhead. Uh, Copperhead South. Yeah. Yep. Had a lot of band, but we stayed busy with that. Uh, also, uh, about the time I was in Hayshaker, I played with Jared Walker, Jamie Stewart, and Josh Sharp in The Shingles, which I, oh. I couldn't find a CD to bring to represent, but that was a fun little country mm-hmm. folk uh, Americana project. Yep. That was a fine band. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with it. It kind of, it, it sort of dissipated as quick. What's you that? played drums with in that band, right? Yeah, yeah. The Sheens. Jerry did acoustic guitar. Jamie did bass. Josh Sharp was doing pedal steel, and I did the drums. That's awesome. Well, that was good. That was all good of those album. bands. Well, except for members only. Mm-hmm. Uh, played at uh, either Grand Parsons Guitar Pool or Swamp Town Get Down. Yes. Uh, yeah, are, I did double duty with Hayshaker and the Shingles at the <laughs> at the Swamp Town. I know it was Graham Jam. Graham Jam, yeah. I think it was the same year that uh, Leon Russell came, if I remember right. I believe you're right there. 
because I remember they had their equipment set up on stage, and we all had to kind of be careful and stay away from it. It was not to be moved or touched. Or, <laughs> yeah. I was checking out the guitarist pedal board and see what he had on there, you know, doing that sort of thing. Yeah. Do you have a, a any kind of a distinct memory of anything that happened with uh, the uh, our our touring days as as uh, Hayshaker? Remember one time we we played in a in a studio, yeah. a TV studio in Atlanta. Yes. <laughs> and that was it kind was of a weird Atlanta, deal. Wasn't yeah, it? it was snowing that night. Yeah, it started snowing a little bit. We were. But what in the hell were we doing up there? Ah, why was it a TV studio? And were we on TV? Where was it taped? <laughs> it was something to do promotional. I don't know, man. The whole thing was weird. It was like a house party once we got up there. I from can't what even I remember. remember why. Were we on TV? <laughs> and I remember my bass cord going out on me that night. Yeah, one of my pedals was acting up too and kept cutting in and out. I remember a young fella from one of the other bands hooked up with the woman that was running the place. They left midway through the show and... <laughs> Everything got chaotic <laughs> after that. Nobody knew what was okay. going on. And I don't remember. I mean, uh, I do remember this much about it. But uh, we were we we were always chasing some kind of uh, uh, the next big thing. Yeah, uh, there were breweries. Uh, oh man, I love record labels. Uh, Chris was always promoting. Indeed, something, and. Uh, and we played had, anywhere and everywhere we could. Anybody that would have us, just about. Yeah. I always like playing the Hummingbird. That's just a cool, yeah, cool venue. Hummingbird in Macon style place. Mm-hmm. And then Athens, uh, we played Tasty World. Oh yeah, played a few Tasty World shows with the, uh-huh. the Hookers and everybody else up there in Athens. That was always a fun time. Yeah, we always had some fine times. Yes. And had an entourage that went with us too. It yes. Like we always had. The Hanchy sisters. I'm about to say it, the Hanchy girls were always uh, in tow. And... <laughs> oh, somebody else was always, uh, I think, uh, well, maybe not back in these days, but later on, Frog, Chris Starlin, he was kind of, yeah. he started uh, roadieing with us and teching with us. Mm-hmm. I think that was when Matt Starlin came in and started playing bass. Mm-hmm. Wow, man. You know, so sitting here talking about it, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but... It kind of was yeah. in a way. Yeah, the mid 2000s. Yes, late uh, 2000s. Was, was uh, a good 15 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Time has a way of getting away from you. Yeah, and it uh, just, just, just look at me, folks. <laughs> I was a young man at one time. And now he's 32. <laughs> right now. And they asked me, what's your secret? And I say, cigarettes and liquor. And they say, how old are you? 32. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, speaking of old stories, I got another one coming at you right now. Uncle Dave's Tale of the Week. And uh, this by uh, chance, uh, happy Halloween to everybody, uh, which was last night. I hope your trick-or-treating went well. Uh, speaking of old, one dollar from the Dollar Tree. Oh, man, you got a better deal than I did. Mine cost me five. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you didn't shop at the Dollar Tree. No, I will from now on. <laughs> Halloween, the one holiday that you could totally be something or somebody besides yourself. I always loved Halloween as a child. With a little mascara, a smidge of lipstick, a singer sewing machine, and a lot of artistic vision, my mama could manufacture some costume miracles. I have been clowns, hobos, and pirates, but one of the best that mama ever made was her original one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater, inspired by the Sheb Woolley classic that topped the radio charts during the summer of 1958. Y'all remember that song? Oh, yeah. After a brief respite during my teenage years, my love for Halloween reappeared in a joyous display of masquerade disguise. I won several contests as the Pink Panther. Once again, Mama was amazing with nothing but an old bed sheet, some long johns from Walmart, a couple boxes of pink dye and cotton to stuff the tail to which she inserted a wire coat hanger for stiffness and flexibility. <laughs> which where's brings it, me... Where's that coat hanger now? <laughs> <laughs> it's the Pink Panther, son. I won, I won some contests with the Pink Panther. Yeah. There you go. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, what's that hanging down in between my legs? <laughs> it's a loincloth. I didn't know oh, Pink Panther tail. Had. Oh, that's the tail. With the coat hanger in it. <laughs> I didn't know Pink Panther had a loincloth. I was totally digging on that Antigua I, strap. I didn't know he had a, a black beard. <laughs> that was my old uh, uh, strap that I uh, bought from Johnny Logan. about that? And uh, see that cord right there? That is a ninth cord on the uh, 12th fret. So that would be a... I was looking at e, the guitar. Yeah. E nine. I don't know what song we was playing right there. Check the old tuner out there. I see it. One of those old Bo those brown box tuners that uh -huh. closed up. That's kind of used in the band programs. That's a Music Man amplifier. Good stuff, man. Yeah. That was at the uh, National Guard Armory. We was playing a Halloween. Uh, party. I think that was the night we made the most money we ever made at a private gig. We used to put them gigs on ourselves and uh, charge at the door and uh, BYOB people to roll their uh, uh, ice chests in there and we'd get down. Uh, which brings me to another prize-winning invention I threw together in about 30 minutes before going down to the Creek Bar and Grill's annual Halloween costume contest. On our way home from the fall festival at Calvary Baptist Church, where we had just taken our young son, Connor, Lynn saw the sign and said, We need to go. So we got home, started rummaging through the closet, for a cowgirl outfit for my wife, I quietly sifted through the drawer next to the bedside, finding a big political button that I could pin on the lapel of my jacket. I gave the political button a new background, printed the words, Viagra is for weenies, 
<laughs> stuck a dildo out the front of my pants and strode boldly into the night. A hundred dollars later, we were home. And that was the only thing that dildo has ever been used for before or since. (laughs) The most mileage I ever got out of being a character other than me was, God rest his soul, Mr. Thomas Earl Petty. Tom Petty. My daughter Megan, a huge Tom Petty fan, ever since I gifted her his greatest hits CD when she was just 10 years old, constantly admonished me, Dad, you should be Tom Petty for Halloween. You look just like him. (laughs) I never listened to her until I came home from work one October day, and there laid out on the bed was a velour top hat and a blonde wig from Walmart, courtesy of my daughter. (laughs) To that, I added a vintage black frock coat from the late 1800s, a frilly tuck shirt from my down-home band days, and a pair of John Lennon-style sunglasses. The most memorable time I wore it was in October 2006. The Newfanglers, a band consisting of Waycross songwriters and musicians, had written and recorded Blood in the Pines, the story of Hollis Shepard a concept album based on a true South Georgia tale of family feud and wife-beating, ass-whipping, and murder. We were booked to play Friday, October 27th at the Humminbird Stage and Tap Room in Macon, Georgia. The next night, Unknown Henson was scheduled to perform. Where's Unknown? There he is. So we all stayed an extra night to attend in grand fashion. Stuart Daniel Baker created his alter ego, Unknown Henson, for a Charlotte, North Carolina public access TV program. Unknown Henson, a guitar-slinging, country-singing troubadour, looking like a grown-up Eddie Munster, wrote satirical songs about, among other things, trailer park queens, blow-up sex dolls, and hillbilly voyeurs. Mm. Although his show is very tongue-in-cheek, he is a master of the guitar. Hired by Billy Bob Thornton to play lead and bass guitar in his band The Box Masters in 2008. Stuart Baker is also famously known for his role as the voice of Early Kyler on the Adult Swim cartoon series Squidbillies. October 28, 2006, found a handful of newfanglers along with a slew of Waycross characters, all decked out in our best Halloween fashion, dancing, laughing, and singing along with the star of the hummingbird, Unknown Henson. There was Lindsey Graham Jones, also known as Strawberry Shortcake. Where's them photos? He already threw that one up there, I think. Put it back up there. Throw that one back (laughs) up there. Here we go. There we go. Strawberry Shortcake was Lindsey Grantham Jones. Uh, Ryan Crosby (laughs) as the beaver. (laughs) She was was Lindsey Grantham. They never got married. (laughs) <clears throat> oh, why the, okay. Yeah, they were briefly. Oh, my bad. That's Lindsey Grantham, but she's married to somebody now. Uh, 
uh, Sarah Rogers, the bee girl. Uh, Chris Johnson was <laughs> Hunter S. Thompson. Yes. And Ashley Joyner was the pirate winch. And there <laughs> at the bottom of the photo is Jesus. <laughs> What's so funny about Jesus? <laughs> Just your pose. That's the thinker. <laughs> The savior and the thinker. <laughs> that's that's little Jesus. Yeah. That's little Jesus. Little Jesus with sunglasses. Keep it real, young. <laughs> and then over to the right, you had Jesus throwing up peace sign, and Ty Manning is Hank Jr. That was back when Ty was drinking. <laughs> yeah. And that's me as uh, Tom Petty, and uh, Brandon Jones is Sinbad. Uh, who looks like Johnny Depp. Yeah. <laughs> and dang, she wasn't in any of the pictures, but Deanna Hanchy was little Dolly Parton that night. When it came time for the costume judging, we all stepped up as unknown hints and called us out one by one while the audience responded loudly, pushing me, the beaver, and crack-ass refrigerator repairman into the finalist circle. When he held his hand over Ryan's head and said, let's hear it for a squirrel, <laughs> the crowd exploded. Ryan looked at me with stars in his eyes and a big beaver grin crossed his face. <laughs> as happy as I was for that beaver, it was Tom Petty who won first prize that night. A set of fuzzy dice for the rearview mirror and some glow-in-the-dark vampire teeth. We get it, Dave. After the contest, we continued drinking and reveling. In the wee hours of the morning, Darren West and I were standing beside the stage. I leaned back to rest my Tom Petty self against what I thought was the stage wall and fell flat on my top hat head through a curtain on the hard stage floor. Over Unknown Henson's amp. Right on mm. top of... Unknown Henson's Amplifier. <laughs> yeah. Happy Halloween, everybody. <laughs> Happy Halloween. We get it, Dave. You Halloween better than the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I, you know, you have to hand it to somebody who... Can, I, was, I was Jesus Garcia. <laughs> you have Garcia. to hand it to somebody who can make it uh, dildo magic. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what was your... Uh, Ryan ended up calling you that night was... Uh, Big Dick Dave. Big Dick Dave. <laughs> I wish that was true in real life. Well, we can all pretend on Halloween. <laughs> That's exactly the point. That's what it's there for, right? <laughs> That's what Halloween is there for. <laughs> well, we thank you all for tuning in once again for Something in the Water. We thank our brother, T.W. T.W. Lott. Thank you all for having me. This guest, was a man. ton of fun, Thanks literally. Thanks for coming yeah. on. Anytime and, uh, I can help y'all out, give me a holler, yo. What you doing next week? We'll find out. <laughs> I got some stuff that needs to be moved. <laughs> oh, you mean physical labor. I, I, I thought you meant hanging out and no. talking about music. I, I, yeah, I'm, no, I'm good yeah. at that. Now. We can do that, too. Now we'll, we'll get you back for sure. Yeah, and holler. We got plenty more Holler at a Caucasian. About. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank y'all for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Yeah.
Hey.